Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. To begin. Are you watching closely? How to start. I just, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? In Life Itself, a memoir, Roger Ebert begins. I was born inside the movie of my life. I was born a poor black child. The visuals were before me. I was born in it. The audio surrounded me. Molded by it. The plot unfolded inevitably, but not necessarily. I don't remember how I got into the movie, but it continues to entertain me. At first, the frames flicker without connection. We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. Here's the deal. You just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bull Movie Talk. What used to be a Tristram Shandy story. In which, apparently, obviously, we don't talk about Tristram Shandy minute by minute. But isn't that the point? Good Lord, what is this story all about? Cock and Bull story. Here's your host, me, Professor Robert E. G. Black. And then there's Gordy. <laughs> yeah, there's one more thing I have to do. This is group 16, but really it's just stand by me. I don't think I'll get too extremely loud and incredibly close until next time. And then I'll get through it fast. As I've already pointed out, it's not going to win. Stand by me wins. Groundhog Day, Project Day, 1385. What do you do? 17th May 2020. Opening scene, now a couple decades older. And I was surprised to learn that Richard Dreyfus would have only been about three years older than Gordy would have been. Of course, in the book, Chris doesn't die in the mid-80s. He dies in 1973, when he and Gordy would only be 25, 26 years old. The film does specify on the prop newspaper that Chris died September 4th, 1985. And sitting in silence, contemplating, we see the headline and know he's thinking about death. Maybe a friend, maybe a family member. We don't know who Chris Chambers is. We don't know yet who Gordy Lachance is. Cut to the past, and it has long struck me that narrator Gordy says, I was living in a small town instead of I lived in a small town, like he was just passing through. But he is just passing through this time and place like any of us are. What happens now, what happens here, is finite, specific. Before he even gets to that line, we get Gordy picking out what magazine to buy. Surely a key ingredient in the identity of a kid his age. When I was 12 going on 13, for example, I had a subscription to Starlog, and would soon add Fangoria, and I'd let my subscription to Ranger Rick lapse. In the next few years, I'd have subscriptions to TV Guide and Entertainment Weekly, and then through my late teens and into my 20s, a bunch of other movie magazines as well. Chris is the decision maker, the leader, but Gordy is the idea guy. He specifies that not only will they lie about tenting out in Vern's backfield, but Vern will lie about staying over at Teddy's, and they will add that they are going to the drag races the next day to buy more time. Meanwhile, at home, Gordy is invisible. The book makes his family position even more tenuous. His mother had trouble having children. Miscarried three times before she carried Dennis to term. Well, eight months. He came early. Ten years later, she got pregnant with Gordy. When Gordy was born, his father was 51, his mother 43. 
He says he was born the child of two Geritol chuggers. And Gordy was as surprised they weren't ready for and never cared enough for. Gordy is a storyteller, of course. The storyteller. He'd also end up an English teacher just like his author did. Hence, he latches on to Vern saying, This is really, really a good, good time. time. Must blast. In narration, Gordy says, Vern didn't just mean being off-limits inside the junkyard, or fudging on our folks, or going on a hike up the railroad tracks to Harlow. He meant those things, but it seems to me now it was more, and that we all knew it. Everything was there and around us. We knew exactly who we were, and exactly where we were going. It was grand. In the very next scene, Cudicello talks to him about his brother and questions him about what he does, explicitly, and who he is, implicitly. And Cordy gets lost in a flashback about his brother, about his parents, about himself. And then he learns the vast difference between myth and reality with Chopper. And the movie focuses on Teddy for a moment until Gordy anchors them all in the moment. I'm sorry if I'm spoiling everybody's good time. Teddy says, I'm not sure it should be a good time. Gordy replies, You saying you want to go back? No. Gordy says, But going to see a dead kid, maybe it shouldn't be a party. We cut away to Ace and his gang, and when we come back for the lollipop... Hey, we're back here with the boss man, Bob Cormier. From the racks and stacks, it's the best on wax. It's the Cordettes with lollipop. So what? Everybody's weird. And we learn that Gordy will be taking college classes soon. Gordy calls the smart guys who meet in high school pussies. And Chris disputes his choice of labels. Drift over to the Mighty Mouse vs. Superman discussion and back to serious talk. I mean, 
You could be a real writer someday, Gordy. Fuck writing. I don't want to be a writer. It's stupid. It's a stupid waste of time. That's your dad talking. Bullshit. Full true. I know how your dad feels about you. He doesn't give a shit about you. Danny was the one he cared about. And don't try to tell me different. You're just a kid, Gordy. Oh, gee, thanks, Dad. Wish the hell I was your dad. You wouldn't be going around talking about taking these stupid shop courses if I was. It's like God gave you something, man. All those stories that you can make up. But he said, this is what we got for you, kid. Try not to lose it. But kids lose everything unless there's someone there to look out for them. And if your parents are too fucked up to do it, then maybe I should. This movie came out fall of 86. Limited release in August. Wide release in November. I had just started the sixth grade been writing, or at least starting, stories since at least fourth, plus playing complex scenarios with action figures or with my sisters or friends years before. I don't remember, but I imagine I could appreciate some of this. Having stories in my head and how great it was to think that I could make a living getting these stories out. That contradicted the whole idea that the world wasn't going to last much longer. But hope is hope, right? I'd keep writing. A lot of it amateur hour stuff, but there came a point where I definitely got better at it. And even some of the worst writing had ideas worth keeping. Through my 20s, I was a writer. Unpublished, but still writing. But back to the movie. Movie Gordy was closer to his brother than Book Gordy. He not only still thinks about Dennis, but still misses him. In the book, the conversation about being a writer blends right into the conversation that is shifted to nighttime by the campfire in the film. And it makes for a stronger emotional core. Chris's emotional breakdown becomes a part of Gordy's own struggle. Oddly, by tearing their conversation in two. And other parts get shrunk down, like the deer. In the movie, Gordy sits reading gangbusters and the deer arrives. They make eye contact. It lasts a beat. And then the deer leaves. Cut to the freight train, waking the other boys. The freight woke up the other guys, and it was on the tip of my tongue to tell them about the deer. Narrator Gordy says, But I didn't. That was the one thing I kept to myself. I've never spoken or written of it until just now. The book, being prose, makes more of this. And I have to tell you that it seems a lesser thing written down, damn near inconsequential. But for me, it was the best part of the trip, the cleanest part. And it was a moment I found myself returning to almost helplessly, when there was trouble in my life. My first day in the bush in Vietnam, and this fellow walked into the clearing where we were with his hand over his nose, and when he took his hand away, there was no nose there because it had been shot off. At the time the doctor told us our youngest son might be hydrocephalus, he turned out to just have an oversized head, thank God. The long, crazy weeks before my mother died, I would find my thoughts turning back to that morning, the scuffed suede of her ears, the white flash of her tail, but 800 million red Chinese don't give a shit, right? The most important things are the hardest to say because words diminish them. It's hard to make strangers care about the good things in your life. It is often easier to talk about the bad things. Dreaming about World War III versus wanting to be a novelist or a filmmaker. Or something more visceral in the former. Something too personal maybe in the latter. 
and sometimes I avoid talking about the worst anyway. I could spend many words talking about how the childhood of at least three of these main actors, I don't recall hearing anything at all about Jerry O'Connell's childhood, good or bad, was fucked up. Like, speaking of Gordy, when he cries and repeats the line about his father hating him. I'm no good. My dad said it, I'm no good. He doesn't know you. He hates me. He doesn't hate you. He hates me. No, he just doesn't know you. He hates me. My dad hates me. He hates me. I'm no good. Wheaton might have been channeling some of the reality of the abuse he suffered from his father. But I don't want to write about that. I want to write about something good. A deer beside the train tracks. Just starting her day. A boy awake before his friends, reading alone. I've been the first awake many times camping. It's peaceful. It's quiet. The chaos of the larger world has no power in that silence. a lovely thing. Next time, extremely loud and incredibly close, and why it's not my favorite film. Thank you for listening. This has been Cockable Movie Talk. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, or Facebook at Cockable Minute, or check LemonDrops.com for links. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a Mandalorian? Why would you create such an abomination? This is the weapon of the coward. The, uh, it's a past stuff that dreams are made of. Cut. That's a wrap. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! Shut up! Shut the fuck! You're all right to take me. Shut up! Will you shut up! Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! Jesus! Let's get out of here! Come on! <laughs> Gordy did it! Gordy, let's get You're still here? Shut up! Now! It's over. Go home. Go.